3: Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host Damon Martin, and I am back for the attack with my main guy here. Now, now he's co-hosting the show full time. I can actually introduce him every week. He is the Immortal Matt Brown. Matt, what's going on?
4: Man, uh, busy days. You know that's what it is. But that's a good thing. I think you just said a minute ago that when the calls stop coming in, that's when you got to really worry.
3: Yeah, when my phone stops ringing for like an entire day, I'm like, all right, what did I do? Like, is there some controversy going on I don't know about? Like, did people just right. forget about me? Cause yeah, I don't, I don't generally go more than like two hours without a text message, much less like a whole day. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Now we're back officially with the co hosting role. Uh, we, we, we're doing this uh, on a full time basis now. So, see, you got a whole other commitment now.
4: Yeah, which is great, man. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing our thing together. Oh, we've done it on and off for, pretty long time anyway so you <laughs> might as well be committed to it and just do it regularly do it consistently and give people a good show man and get some good insight into the world of mma yeah
3: absolutely and, and combat sports because last week we talked about jake paul and anderson silva turns out we were both wrong uh we both picked anderson but i will say this if you go back and listen to the episode last week you and i both said we picked anderson and But we were 100% saying it depended on how Anderson fought. And guess what? Anderson did exactly what we said we were worried about, where he was taking rounds off a little bit. He was playing around a little bit. Now, let me be clear. Credit where credit is due to Jake Paul. Jake did a great job. Jake did a a really good job. He showed a lot of improvements in that fight. So I don't want to tell I'm not discrediting him. But I'm just saying you and I both were worried about how Anderson would go in there and how, you know, active he would be. Would he attack? Would he, would he, you know, be really, you know, we, would, would he be aggressive? Yeah. He did, but only in spurts. He would do it like the last 30 seconds of a round or he would do it in like, you know, combinations yeah. it, that what we talked about. That's what worried us about that fight.
4: Yeah. And uh, Anderson has been known to do that even in the prime of his career. Right. Like that's just the way that he is. So, Um, There's no doubt that there was a question that he could do that now. And uh, like you said, you got to give credit where credit's due, man. If Anderson beat the hell out of Jake Paul the whole time or knocked him out or something, we would absolutely be putting Jake Paul down, saying, see, we told you, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But that's not what happened. So you have to give the credit where credit's due. Maybe Anderson really gave it his all. Maybe he really tried. I don't think he did. But, um, you know, you can't take you. you you have to assume that both the guys are going in there to
3: win. Absolutely. Here's the thing. I mean, like I said, and the thing is Anderson didn't look bad. It wasn't like Anderson went in there and he looked like, like he had moments. I had to fight pretty much tied going into the last round. And then Jake getting the knockdown in the last round is what secured it for me. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like Anderson just didn't show up. Like I still felt he won rounds. So You know, I think discrediting, like, I think it's just, I think it's a a bad, it's like what happened with the whole Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw thing. Do I feel bad? I I legitimately feel bad that that Aljamain fought a guy who was going into a fight compromised. But TJ Dillashaw took that risk. He's the one who stepped in there compromised. Aljamain beat him. That's your fault, TJ. You didn't go in there healthy. You didn't go in there with two shoulders. That's on you. That's not on Aljamain. That's not his fault. You can't come out afterwards and say, "Well, I had this shoulder problem." You took the fight. You know what I mean? You stepped in there and you took the fight. You lost. No excuses for that. Anderson didn't have a bad fight. Uh, and Jake won. Pretty- Jake won. Like it. I. I don't. You know what I mean? And I. I, I hate this narrative now afterwards, you can't in one breath, say Anderson's the toughest fight Jake's ever had. And then when he loses say, well, he's 47, you know, he's not in his prime. You can't do that.
4: Yeah. That's the exact same point I was going to come up with, man. That's the exact same thing. And, and look, the fact is, if you look at the vast majority of pro boxers careers, you know, I don't want to jump. I don't want to pump up Jake Paul too much here, but (laughs) he's fought tougher guys than 99% of pro boxers in their first four fights, you know, regardless of whether these guys are real boxers or not, you know, most guys first four pro fights outside of, you know, like the Lomachenkos of the world and guys like that. They're not fighting world-class athletes. Tyrone Woodley, the, um, the basketball player, Ben, even Ben Askren Anderson Silva, these guys are world-class athletes. You can't take that away from Jake Paul.
3: Yeah, it's crazy too because I someone said that to me on uh, on uh, on Facebook I think it was. They said something about like how many how many high level boxers has Jake Paul fought and I said Canelo Alvarez in his first 6 fights his opponents had a combined record of 5-9 and 1 and one opponent had 3 wins. So that was like the majority of the guys he fought with wins. Okay? Now Canelo, yeah. that's not that by the way, that's not to discredit Canelo that's just pointing out boxers don't, you don't generally fight a good boxer until like your 15th pro fight in boxing. Right. Now, again, there are exceptions to the rule. Lomachenko is probably, you know, the golden one. I'd, Anthony Joshua a little bit coming out of the Olympics. He fought a little higher level competition, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, the best boxers in the world are beating. I mean, come on now. They're picking people out of a crowd at like a state fair to step in the ring and fight yeah. these guys and just get demolished. Exactly. That's exactly. So-
4: and, and, and with all, with all respect, you know, again, to these guys, like Jake Paul didn't have an amateur career either, you know, and which is what has really surprised me. And where, again, you got to give the credit where credit's due. You got to show the respect where he has earned it. Where he has earned it is when most guys that don't have the, the uh, this amount of experience, um, you know, that, that have the lack of experience like Jake Paul does, they don't perform under the lights like that. Right. They, they can comp- they break down. You know, and, and some of the, the games Anderson was playing and I mean, you're going against freaking Anderson Silva in your what fourth or fifth uh, pro boxing match like that's, you know, with the millions of eyes on you, that's to be respected.
3: And and let's not forget, Jake doesn't come from an athletic background. He wrestled for like half a season in high school, and that's yeah. it. It's not like he's coming from like I did karate or I did you know kickboxing or I come from what. He's not an athlete by trade. Like he didn't grow yeah. up like he got he got famous doing vines and t- and uh, YouTube videos when he was like a sophomore in high school. That was the end of any athleticism. He started making money and being famous off that. Because yeah. Logan, L- Logan, now Logan Paul's older brother was a legit wrestler here in Ohio. He was a fifth place finisher in the state finals in wrestling. And you and I both know how good wrestling is in Ohio. So L- Logan was a legit athlete. Jake wasn't. Jake is doing all this like within the last like three years. He's learned how to be a boxer. Okay, that to me is as impressive as anything. Because it's not like he grew up like a lot of boxers do where they're boxing in golden gloves and junior golden gloves and doing stuff like when they're 12, 13 years old, you know what I mean? Like he didn't do that. He's not a natural athlete. So the fact that he's going out there and knocking out Tyron Woodley, going eight rounds with a legitimate legend. And again, that bugs me because one of the things we talked about, Matt was Anderson's looked good. Since he left the UFC, he looked rejuvenated. He, I mean, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. He mm-hmm. knocked out Tito Ortiz. And again, I know Tito's what it is, but he still knocked him out. And he knocked him out like forty seconds, which is what we expected he did what him he was to, do he, to do. Yeah, and he beat. Ch- you can't. It drives me crazy, though. It's like, okay, we all talk about how great Anderson looked, and he's looked like he's rejuvenated, looked like he's happy, he's having a great time. He just got beat. He got beat. That's yeah. all there is to it. There's yeah. no shame in that. Jake Paul just had a good night. Yeah,
4: and I'm I'm glad that we're on the same page on this. It wouldn't end up coming on here just having an argument. Uh, versus, you know, I guess it is fighter versus writer, right? We could be arguing <laughs> about, you know, when we say ah, he Anderson's old, whatever. But we have to remember, like you were just talking about, what did we talk about before the fight? We did not expect Jake Paul to win this fight. No, I don't. You know, again, you know, me and you had talked about it. And we said, look, you know, it's going to be really up to Anderson whether he, Anderson wins this fight. I don't know if Anderson was at his best, but Jake fucking beat him, man. You got to yeah. give that credit to him, you know? Now the big question is what's next with Jake, right? That's the question now. He did it. He beat Anderson Silva. That's to be commendable. We respect it. We know you're legit now. That's the way I see it, right? You, you earn the respect. You're legit. I still don't really care. You know what I mean? You're still like just a, a mid-level boxer at best to me but where do you go from here that that's where I think it gets complicated right he called out Nate Diaz and I'm like I'm like that's a step down from Anderson <laughs> you know what I mean uh not not just I, in terms I, not I just said in terms it on, of skill but in terms of size a huge step
3: I said it on Saturday night and people got mad at me actually someone from Nate Diaz's team got mad at me for saying it. I said I like Nate and I hope he gets paid a boatload of money to fight Jake Paul I, I root for the guy to do that but Nate Diaz is a 155 pounder who's never had one punch knockout power and he'd be giving up about 30 pounds to Jake but to Jake Paul. Yeah. I said I said Jake would be a 3 to 1 favorite. The odds came out it was almost exactly 3 to 1 favorite. I'm like hmm. if you're doing it for the payday, again, I'm all for it and Nate Diaz would be a big fight because Nate Diaz is a big name. I, again, I'm all for them making a lot of money doing it. But in terms of stepping competition, absolutely, it's a step down. That's and that's not a knock on Nate. I mean, Nate's not a middleweight. (laughs) He's never been like he's never been a one-punch knockout striker. Uh, Anderson is a better boxer. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, I know Nate has that style, and everyone talks about the Diaz brothers boxing and they work with Andre. I get all that. But come on now, like it's a thirty-pound. Like this is this is even worse. Like Woodley. Tyron Woodley, who was never known as a great boxer, but did have knockout power. We knew that about Tyron Woodley in his career. He had legit knockout power. Tyron Woodley has talked about fighting a middleweight. Even though he's a shorter welterweight, he is, you know, he he doesn't, and we say welterweight, and and you know this, you know this as well, Matt, like we say welterweight, you never step into a fight 170 pounds. So, you know, Tyron Woodley weighs 190, you know, so it's not like, it's not like he was giving up a huge amount of size to Jake Paul. Nate Diaz is a lightweight. And I know he's fought at Welterweight, but I'm talking like if he walks around at 172, I'd be shocked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's going to give up 30 pounds, height, weight, size, power, all that to Jake Paul. Like, again, go get paid. Go get your money. I'll gladly support you. I'll support anyone that wants to go do that. But don't tell me this is actually a, a really, truly competitive fight.
4: Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And that's me personally. I'm a little bit interested in Jake Paul now. Yeah, I want to see what he can do. I mean, he surprised me that he beat Anderson Silva. Um, you know, there's no, it's not like a controversial decision. Like, he beat Anderson Silva, knocked him down in the last round. I want to see what he's capable of now, personally. And I think, you know, a lot of people were saying this before. If I had a real boxer, blah, blah, like He fight He fought tougher boxers than most pro boxers do early in their career. I'm kind of interested in seeing what he's capable of now. I don't know who his training camp is or, you know, his sparring partners are and stuff, but it's got me a little bit intrigued as as, is where, you know, where's this ceiling?
3: Well, what also drives me crazy about that is like, he had a couple of fights set up in this last year against, you know, quote unquote, legitimate boxers, Tommy Fury and Haseem Rockman Jr. Now, do they come from the pedigree of great boxers? Absolutely. Tyson Fury, you know, best heavyweight in the sport. Haseem Rockman in his time was an incredible heavyweight in his own right. But go, I mean, Tommy Fury, I was at his fight in Cleveland. I mean, he looked awful and then i watched his fight yeah. i watched his fight when he was on i can't remember what he was on the undercard or some card. i mean it was the ksi I can one of those one of those random like influencer type cards or maybe it was tyson fury's fight card he fought on the undercard of his brother's card, whatever it was it was bad i mean it was real bad i was like dude this guy like i would i said it today privately and i'll say it now on the air anderson silva i would pick him to dismantle tommy fury like mm-hmm. i think anderson silva would toy with and and finish tommy fury so, okay, Tommy Fury's got, like, nine or ten pro fights. Does that mean it's better? And then Haseem Rockman Jr., I mean, come on now. Have you looked at that guy's resume? I mean, he just yeah. got washed by Kenzie Morrison, who is Tommy Morrison's son. It's like the son of all the famous boxers are fighting. Kenzie Morrison might actually be a decent prospect. He knocked out Haseem Rockman Jr. Would those have been tougher? I mean, Rockman maybe because Rockman had a little bit of size, but, like, you're going to tell me Tommy Fury is really a tougher matchup than Anderson Silva? I would I would, I would, laugh at that idea.
4: Well, in all, all fairness to Jake Paul, people tell him he needs to fight real boxers. So Those guys are real boxers. They're dedicated professionals that, I don't know, they probably make a living doing this, right? So, hey, Jake have you seen fight Tommy?
3: Him. Have you seen Tommy Fury fight?
4: Uh, I've never watched, but I've heard you're not the first person to tell me how <laughs> terrible he looks, so I can only <laughs> guess. Um, and, and, you know, you don't have to watch to make my own decision, but when I look at um, – Uh, Tyson Fury, I mean, he doesn't look like he's doing anything special other than, you know, some of his defensive work and, you know, for heavyweight, some of the stuff the way he moves. But, you know, he's kind of an awkward guy himself. So um, I don't know if maybe the, uh, Tommy's that way, but it just works for him. I don't even know Tommy's record or anything, you know? I, I mean, I he's know.
3: like, he's like, I think he's like eight and or nine and O and his, but he's somebody, in that,
4: yeah. he's
3: in that, he's in that classic boxer thing where his opponents are all like, Oh, and two, one and three, yeah, like yeah, and he's yeah. doing, the, he's doing the actual typical boxer thing where his records padded because he's fighting, you know, low level guys who probably shouldn't be. I mean, he fought Anthony Taylor, UFC mixed martial arts guy Anthony Pretty Boy Taylor, the guy who was training with Jake for a while. He had like like a foot of height on him. Like Anthony Taylor is like barely a welterweight. Like he's a short guy. And it was I mean, it was a four-round fight. I think it was a four-round fight in Cleveland. It was bad. I mean, it was a real bad fight. Did Tommy win? Sure, he won. But like he didn't hurt him, he didn't knock him down. This is a guy if he was actually as good as he should be, he should have wiped the floor with Anthony Taylor. He didn't. Nice Anthony that. Taylor stuck around, made it every round. It wasn't really competitive, but it wasn't a good fight either. Like it was just like he did enough to win, you know, he did just enough to yeah. win and got out of there. I mean, dude, like I just I mean, I just, and on that
4: on that note with the the way the boxers do that, you know, a lot of people call it padding the record. But a lot of it the other side of that is they're just getting experience. You know, this is yeah. where MMA fighters make a huge mistake. I think constantly, I made the same mistake when I was coming up because this, this is a culture of MMA. These guys have five, six, ten amateur fights. At you know, ten is a lot of amateur fights for these MMA guys. And then you know they go in, they start. I mean, how many you know five and O or ten and O guys do you see in the UFC fighting world class guys? I mean, it's a mistake. Like these, what they what they're doing in boxing usually. You know, they'll find a guy that they know is beatable, but they also see something in him that's going to test it, uh, their fighter. Right? Like maybe he's just got a good jab. Okay, let's see how our guy does against a guy with a good jab. You know, and if he can get past that jab, then, you know, he's going to win the fight, you know. But he does have that one thing um, that's going to give him some problems. Or, or sometimes, they'll, you know, they'll go up against a guy that's like, you know, he's a, a good boxer, but he's just – are uh, not a good boxer, but just really tough and gritty. That was a, a Edgar Berlonga just fought a guy like that uh, a few months ago. Right. And Edgar looked terrible. Right. And we were like, most of us, if anybody that follows boxing is watching, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, that's all this hype on Eggers. Uh, maybe not all that. Right. He had, I don't know if, how much you know about Edgar Berlonga, but uh, you know, he had a lot of hype behind him. And then, you know, so that that's what they are doing. they're putting specific tests for specific reasons. And the, you just don't see that in MMA. Um and Jake Paul really hasn't done that either. He has went against guys um that are proven world class athletes. Yeah, so, I mean yeah,
3: you could you can throw that. You will, I guarantee you could throw in some three and oh, four and oh boxers right now, and Jake Paul would knock them into left field because we know that again, right. boxing is not built that way. I mean, you can have a pro record in boxing, and doesn't mean you're a great pro boxer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just not how boxing works. I mean, that's just, typically speaking, you don't. You're not like I said, Canelo didn't. I think I think I did this research once. I think Canelo didn't fight a, a opponent with a winning record to like his tenth or eleventh pro fight, like when they actually yep. had like a you know, a three and two record versus like a two and four right. record or whatever. But again, <laughs> but like, I
4: guarantee, I guarantee all those first 10 guys, they all had something that they seen. They're like, okay, we know Canelo's going to win. So it's going to build his confidence, but we're, we're going to see how he deals with, you know, whatever type of adversity. There's some type of adversity. This guy's going to create at some point in the fight. And we just want to see how Canelo handles it.
3: Yeah. And listen, like I would right now. Like I said, I would pick Tyre Woodley to beat a lot of pro boxers. If you just want to throw out just random pro boxers totally, with you know, yeah. no no resume, and and I just said it. I I would one hundred percent right now. I put money on Anderson Silva beating Tommy Fury. I would one hundred percent put money down on him beating Tommy Fury. Um, it, there's a there's a culture of just again, you know, Jake is a is a real polarizing guy and you know uh, but see the difference i remember back in the day when we when our when our old podcast went viral we talked about cm punk coming in the ufc and you went off on cm punk made sports center all these things um (laughs) the the difference is is that while cm punk took a shortcut and by the way i've talked to cm punk so i like cm by the way i've talked to him interviewed him a couple times seems like i mean i always had a good conversation he is a legitimate fan and i give him credit for that he's a legit mixed martial arts fan the problem is being a fan does not make you a legitimate fighter. I've been a fan yep. of mixed martial arts for 20 years. Ain't no chance, way, or form I'm stepping into the cage to do battle with anybody because I'm not that dude. I'm just not. Jake Paul, yes. <laughs> Jake Paul, like you can say it's a shortcut. Like CM Punk got a shortcut to get in the UFC. He knew Dana. It was his dream to fight in the UFC. Okay, he took a real shortcut. Yes, Jake is taking a shortcut because he's famous. He's got a he's got a fan base and he's he's doing it. But at the same time, like he's just out there making money and he's having fights and he's and he is getting tougher competition. And there's just like this stigma that because Jake Paul is Jake Paul, and you don't have to like Jake Paul. I don't care if you like him or not. You can hate the guy. I don't really care. But you can't discredit and say he's not he's not taking a risk and not getting tougher fights. Now, if he fights Nate Diaz, I think that actually would be a step down from Anderson Silva. Exactly. You know, but again, if he's going to get paid a boatload of money and it's going to do a bunch of pay-per-view buys, listen, I, I mean, I think it's hilarious that Floyd Mayweather's fighting, you know, a social influencer in Dubai or whatever, and we know it's there's no risk. and he's, If he's going to make a couple of $3 million from whatever, I don't care. Um, yes, it would be a step down to fight Nate Diaz, but hey, if they're going to make a boatload of money in doing it, I'm not going to stop them from doing it. For sure.
4: For sure, yeah. And, and again, you know, I think the forgotten part too is uh, – You know, these boxers coming up, fighting these um, non-winning record guys, these kind of journeymen or whatever, these guys they know they're going to beat. They're doing that in front of crowds of 100 or 200 people. Jake Paul, you have to respect the fact that he's doing it in front of the fucking world.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
4: You know, like if he puts a a lot on the line, like his reputation, you know, maybe not his reputation, I don't know. Like when you have the lights on you, you're the main event you're putting on the show, you're, you're putting your balls on the line, man. Like there's something to be said for that. And he handles it well, he fucking handles it well, you know, and, and with all that, he's going in and and again, you know, he's, he fought Anderson Silva. He didn't fight some, you know, Oh, and eight scrub that that he knows exactly how to beat. And he did, you know, in a main event pay-per-view his own show in front of millions of people in an arena, there's dude, if you've anybody's ever any fighter that's ever walked out to an arena for a cage fight understands how intense that can be. Yeah. So with Jake Paul doing it, you have to, you have to stamp some respect on that.
3: Absolutely. Also, did you see, I'm sure you probably didn't see this cause I didn't see it until just a little bit ago. Did you see this conspiracy theory? that's floating around now that uh, Anderson took a dive in the last round because people are trying to break. It's so hilarious. It's like watching JFK and they're breaking down video footage, like saying that Jake didn't really connect with the punch in the eighth round that knocked him down. They're like, it's a phantom punch. He went down, he threw the fight. And I'm like, okay. I was like, we're in, a, we're in a digital, we're in a media era now where everyone's got phones. Everyone's got like, there's a billion views of that fight from different angles. Watch the replay. He got clipped. Like, the idea that Anderson Silva was going to take a dive to Jake Paul, I, it is hilariously stupid. Like, pe- that's how far people will go to try to discredit Jake Paul. Like, okay, again, hate him all you want, but don't go down that, like, fixed fight angle because th- we hear that all the time, Matt. We heard it in the UFC. When someone, people don't like, wins or loses – it's controversial. Oh, they fit. They did. They, 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 died, they took a dive. No, they didn't take a dive. Right, he right. got caught. Like he got caught with a punch and he was off balance. I mean, I don't think it was like a clean, huge knockdown, but he got clipped. He went down, he got back up, fight continued, made it to the final. battle. I don't know. It's hilarious to me. The excuses people will make to discredit somebody in a fight.
4: Yeah, I'm with you. I didn't really, you know, observe it that close or looking at conspiracy theories or anything, but, you know, whatever. Maybe maybe he did take a dive. Who cares? He still beat him, so you know we still seen a whole fight. So whatever. Maybe, maybe maybe that's true. that He'll get exposed later. So you know, what I mean, like you can't do that forever, right? So yeah, uh, I don't think it did happen. But uh, and and I think you know, just like we had talked about before the uh, the fight, you know, it came down to Anderson, and I didn't see where uh, Anderson really cared you know, he's getting a big payday. He's 47 years old. He's, you know, a legend amongst legends in the UFC. He's had his title runs. Like, you know, there's, you know, the, the old saying, right? Like it's hard to get up and, and go run when you're sleeping on silk sheets, you know, and Anderson's not hungry for this. There's no doubt about it. Right. Like he, he's not hungry to fight Jake Paul. So we, you know, you can, you can you can give that to uh anderson you know you can make that argument but everybody wants to just turn and say oh it was a dive or whatever well it probably wasn't and if, and and if you're just going to make an unfounded comment on that then you're just an idiot you know no. like you said there's fucking cameras everywhere like <laughs> it's not an easy thing to accomplish i remember they did the same thing with the tyrone woodley fight right like it was, with him like dropping his glove or you gave him some kind of a signal uh, or
3: something. (laughs) Yeah, gave
4: him a little signal to knock me out now or something like, you know, I don't buy it. And, you know, but we're also in this world of social media and the age we're in, I think you would agree with this is like, you know, we're also getting everybody's opinions. We get to actually see everybody's opinions and you can just realize how dumb the fucking world is. right? Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of dumb people out there. And when before social media, when we were kids, we got the stupidity of like the 20 people around us. Now we get it from the 20 million people around us. And yeah. you realize like, oh, those 20 people are actually smarter than most of these other people. Right.
3: Yeah, dude. Like, people say people say some really stupid things. Like I said, I I it drove me crazy last week with the whole Aljamain Sterling thing when everyone's like, you didn't beat a healthy TJ Dillashaw, you didn't deserve the win, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what did Aljamain do wrong? Like, what did he do wrong? He went in right. there and won a fight. Like, it's not on him that his opponent came in there compromised. And to TJ's credit, like he actually said afterwards, he said, like, I fought with this injury before and I won with it, Um, you know, all those kind of things. So It just drives me crazy. Like, I I dislike the fact that TJ went in there knowing that he was, you know, physically compromised, but that's not on Aljamain. That's not his fault. You know what I mean? Like, if you go in with a fracture in your leg and your leg breaks, guess what? That's not your opponent's fault. That's your your fault for going in there with a fractured leg. And I can see some criticism if it goes to a close split decision.
4: Yeah. You know what I mean? Then you're like, oh, Aljamain, you almost lost to a guy or a controversial decision. You almost lost to this guy that has a, uh, torn shoulder and shouldn't you've been in there fighting he did what he was supposed to do to a guy that's fighting without an arm
3: yeah exactly it just people like i said people go out of their way to discredit guys uh for stuff like that and it drives me insane like i just don't understand the logic behind it uh when again well, like, think, Alger- you know
4: that's just the world we live in right it Everybody is. Wants to it discredit is. everyone else and you know i'm fine with that like a lot of people try to discredit what i've done you know and I'm sure even as a journalist people try to discredit what you do and it's fine you know like uh bringing others down doesn't bring you up and I think a lot of people don't understand that
3: Yeah I, I would, that always that has always bugged me when it's like you don't get any taller by stepping on someone's neck you know when they're having like an off night like it dry, like that kind of stuff dry. like I like people were I remember when Kamaru Usman got knocked out by Leon Edwards. There were so many people celebrating. Like, they weren't celebrating Leon. They were celebrating Kamaru's downfall. And I'm like, why? Yeah, you can't do that. Like, like, why celebrate Leon for doing a great job and making a huge comeback in a fight he was losing, and he pulls off this incredible knockout. Celebrate that guy. You're not getting any taller just because you're standing on Kamaru at his lowest moment. Like, he got kn- he got caught and knocked out, lost his title, you know, lost everything in a way. In a way, you know, you lose everything in that moment um and as you said high profile all the lights are on you main event all that kind of stuff like celebrate the other guy but don't don't can don't don't tear down camaro don't feel better about yourself because camaro lost that's
4: garbage and camaro was dominating the fight other than the first round he you know leon i mean how much credit can you give this guy i mean this guy did an amazing job you know what Only guy to ever take down Kamaru Osman, however you say it, Usman, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, did great in the first round, ended up getting down all the rest of the rounds and then comes back and finds a way to win. I mean, you just got to – I don't see how you bring – try to bring Usman down on any of that. I mean, just Usman fought almost the perfect fight and Leon landed the perfect shot. You know what I mean? Like this is the game of interest that we play.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That fight was also at altitude, which you know, you saw that that night, man. It messed with everybody. I'm trying. Have you fought? In, I know you trained in Colorado. Did you ever fight in Colorado? Did you ever fight in altitude?
4: I've never fought in altitude, I don't think.
3: Dude, it sucks. Every time every time I talk to a fighter who doesn't, like, oh my God, it's awful. It's the worst thing ever. I, didn't, I always kind of forget Salt Lake City was actually at altitude. We always talk about Denver at altitude because you lived and trained yeah. in Denver. But uh, yep. yeah, man, like, there,
4: there's you notice a difference when you're yeah. like,
3: your dude, lungs. I, I remember when I drove the first time I ever drove to Colorado, I went on a camping trip after my senior year of high school. We drove and we did like a two week camping trip. We went through Colorado, Wyoming, uh, South Dakota, all those areas out there. When you drive over the Rocky Mountains and you're like driving up and down the Rocky Mountains, like, dude, you feel it in your lungs just driving through there? Like you notice a difference in how you're breathing, just being at that thin air. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think it was real. Now, this is years ago, but I didn't think it was real. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, it's a real thing. Like, it actually does make a difference when you're at that kind of altitude. Even just driving, it makes a difference. You feel it in your lungs.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it gets worse um, throughout. They usually say, like, the first, I think, three or four days is actually the best time. And then when your body is actually trying to produce the red blood cells to catch up, because So that's where the benefit is, right? Over time, over six weeks or three weeks, however long it is, you build these red blood cells. But when your body is actually producing those red blood cells, that's taking a lot of energy for your body to produce. And that's actually the worst time. The UFC generally flies this out on Tuesday, four days before. So that's the worst time, especially after putting your body through a weight cut and, you know, all the stress and everything that's the worst time for your body right then. That's when you feel it the worst. Like I've went out there before, you know, in tip top shape. And the first day you're like, oh, this isn't that bad. You know, your lungs uh, feel a little more shallow, right? You you don't get quite as much breath and everything. But over those few days, it drains the living hell out of you.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. And, And that's, and like I said, and then going in there and actually fighting on it. Like, yeah. because if you watch, if you watch every other fight that Kamara Usman, this again, I'm not making excuses for the guy. I'm just saying, like, you watch every other fight. He's had conditioning is one of his biggest weapons, and he looked tired. Like that by the, the to close that fifth round, man, he was a little bit labored in his movement and stuff like that. Like that's a real weapon. We saw it. We see it all the time. Well, conditioning a weapon. He, was,
4: he lives out there now, right?
3: He does. He lives in Denver, yeah, and he traded fought in Salt Lake City. But again, you know as well as I do, like training and fighting or not, you know the the exhaust you put yourself through in training is not what you feel like in fighting, you know, like it's a, it, your adrenaline's well, I, different. Your adrenaline's different. You're just, it's a different feeling, right? Like, you know.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I should say, I it didn't seem to me that he, he got hit with that kick because of.
3: No, no, no. I'm just saying, all. I'm just saying, I'm just saying like, you could tell like they were both dog tired in that, in that fifth round. Like they were both like pushing each other to the brink. You know, yeah. what I mean, that's not, uh, again, that's why that's why I give Leon Edwards so much credit. I'm like, damn, he pulled it off. Like they're both exhausted, dog tired, yeah. fight fights pretty much over. Kamara's winning. You know, it's pretty much done. And boom, out of nowhere. And like I said, dude, credit to credit to Leon Edwards. Don't discredit. You know, that's just, like I said, going back to the Jake Paul thing. Like Bill, Jake Paul just did a good. You know, again, you hate him all you want. Just don't say he didn't do a good job, and don't suddenly say Anderson's old and decrepit because the fight didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You know, the I fight think, didn't go
4: I'm on the exact same page with you there. And if Anderson is old and decrepit, um, you know, if he went if he got old overnight, you know, that happens, right? But we can't blame it on that. Because like you said, he looked he's looked good. So we yeah. have to go by the history, right? He has looked good. So you have to take that into account. Now, if he comes back and fights again, you know, some uh I don't know know who Anderson, who Lord knows who Anderson would fight next. Right. But comes back, fights again, looks old. Then maybe you could look back and say, okay, you know, maybe he was a little, you know, got old. Right. But he hasn't. So we can't go there right now.
3: Yeah. They always say it. Father time is undefeated, but I tell you what that dude looked like. He found a fountain of youth in the last couple of years. We can't sit here and lie about that. Like, dude, he, he looked. He looked. He looked. Like I said, I was, and I was so legitimately happy for Anderson. Cause it looks like he's having so much fun right now. Like even in the Jake Paul yeah. fight, it looks like he's just having fun right now. Doing. He's got freedom. He's doing his own thing. Uh, you know. And again, good for him. Like I said, I'm never gonna fault a guy. That's what I said. If if they do Jake Paul Nate Diaz, will it be? Uh, you know, will it be a, a a competitive fight? I don't really think so. I I, I just right. I just don't see that being a great competitive I'm fight. But. You. You know, they're going to pay him a few million dollars to fight each other and then pay-per-view points in the back end. Good for them. Like, I'm not going to, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I'm never going to fall. That's like when, like the Floyd Mayweather thing, like, am I interested in watching him box outmatched fighters who have no business being in the ring with him? No, I'm not going to put down my money to watch it. But if somebody wants to pay this dude $3 million to go out and beat a dude who has absolutely no business being in the ring with him more power to you like i don't really care like i'm not i'm not you you had a great tweet over the weekend you're talking about he's like are there people who really complain about fighters getting paid more money like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me and i was like yeah i know i see it all the time like i put up fighter pay stuff all the time and they're like if they didn't like what they're getting paid they shouldn't have signed the contract and i'm just like oh my god like you just stop just stop
4: it's just so strange to me right like like, these are the guys that are entertaining you. This is who you want to fight, or this is who you want to watch, right? This is, like, I mean, if you were, like, it, I don't care what job you're working at, like, you want more money. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not one of these, you know, go out and complain about fighter pay. I'm not trying to start a union, all this stuff. But, like, like, you know, if someone does construction on my house, and they're like, like man i wish i got paid more or something i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna tell him to fuck off and be like yeah man you should tell your boss that right like (laughs) you work it out bro good for you you know i'll support you i got your back but these guys on social media it's so weird they're just like oh yeah we get paid enough or and particularly our own uh co-workers and i guess this jake matthews guy right it was kind of started this whole thing where he's like oh yeah i'll make enough money it's like at what job in history does anyone ever just say, Hey, I make enough money. I'm cool. (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen this before in my life, but these fighters, some fighters and some fans are just like, Oh yeah, you get paid enough. It's it's so strangest thing. I've never heard of this before.
3: Yeah. It's so bizarre. Like, and it's so funny because you rarely see those people like, I'm not saying you should complain. I'm just saying if you're going to complain and you're going to say be like, If you're going to say people are making too much money, go after like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, the guys who are making billions and like their employees are not making like a, you know, the uh, pittance of a percentage of what they're earning. Go after them. You're saying they're making, if you want to say Dana White earns too much money. Okay, fine. You could say he makes too much money versus the fighters, but saying the fighters make, don't make it make too much money or they're getting paid plenty. Like who, who in the history of the world legitimately says that? Like, it just makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I hear yeah, that I, mean, all the, I, I I
4: don't think I've ever heard anyone say like Dana makes too much money. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I don't think he does. I mean, I th- I think Dana's done a great job, and more power to him. You know, he's fucking brought this sport almost single handedly. You know, from nothing to what it is now. So he's fucking should be a multimillionaire. I totally agree.
3: Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not, this and I, like you said, Yeah, I'm not complaining. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not complaining. Like, you're making... I I get it. that You know, and and like, my issues come down on fighter pay, always come down to like the percentages and the revenue being paid back to the fighters. It's not what Dana's earning. I don't really care about that. It's what the fighters are earning. You know what I mean? Like, I think fighters are vastly underpaid in the UFC Bellator across all organizations. Now, yeah. you can make a you can make a list and say like, you know, the, uh, the 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 lower tier new fighters what they're getting paid versus the veterans like yourself or you're talking about champions things like that, but I think everybody across the board is getting underpaid, but complaining about that like it I I'll never cuz that's like that's like the people who complain to you would would like Let's say there and I'm not knocking anyone's profession by the way I'm just picking something out of a hat and saying like you mentioned construction worker the construction worker says Matt you're making too much money as a fighter you shouldn't complain you're making plenty of money would you would they care and turn to you went to their foreman and said you know what this don guy he's a piece of shit he shouldn't be paid. He shouldn't be paid sixteen dollars an hour, twenty dollars an hour to work on my house. Screw this guy. Would he want right. that? No, of course he wouldn't want that. He wouldn't want you diminishing his work and telling him he should make less money. Like it's so crazy to me. And,
4: and I think that was that was one of the uh, one of the people I replied to on, on one of those tweets. I was, like, I was like, you know, what's your job, bro? And uh, I can't remember what he said it was. And I was like, well, maybe I think you make too much money. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, it's just so strange, man. It just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, and, and again, I'm, you know, what, the, where I do agree is the with, when the people maybe not totally agree, but you know, when these people, they say, well, negotiate a better contract. And I'm like, you know, that's fair because, you know, us as fighters, we're not good at negotiating contracts. It's certainly not our forte. I have not negotiated my contracts well, uh, you know, and, and I want you know, put this out there as an addendum to everything we're just saying. Like, you know, I've been happy with the amount of money that I've made, you know, and, um, you know, I'm part of the reason probably why we don't get paid more than we do. Cause there's a million guys just like me that when they call us and they ask us to fight and they say, this is what you're getting paid. I say, okay, fuck yeah. I'm blessed to get to do this. And, and this is awesome. And, um, You know, us changing that paradigm mentally is really what needs to what would have to change for us to make more money. So there's, you know, that there is an argument to be said for that. So if someone comes at me and says that, I get that. If they just say, I don't know why you want more money, you get enough money. It's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life
3: yeah yeah it's one thing to say like you know because and also and not to you know just to start out there's like a defense like you only have so much wiggle room in negotiations with the ufc like if you went into the ufc tomorrow and you called sean shelby you said you know what sean i want to fight but i need three million they're just he's gonna hang up the phone on you like they're just not getting right. out th- th- and that's the problem like that's the bigger problem is like you can't that like you only have so much room in negotiation you know what i mean so um yeah, like I said, there's there's complaints you can make across the board, and you're absolutely right. Like, you can say like fighters don't negotiate hard enough for better pay and things like that, and that's true. Because and you know as well as I do, if you say, hey, Sean, I want three million, and they're like, uh no, there's gonna be some welterweight out there who will take sixty thousand dollars to go fight on yeah. UFC Fight Night, you know, ninety two at the Apex, uh, and they're gonna say, well, Matt, you're on the shelf. We got you know Joe, you know Joe Johnson, who's gonna step in here and fight for. 40 grand and, and 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 do it with a smile on his face you know what i mean and that's also fighters listen i i'm always for the i'm an advocate for the fighters but you and i both know fighters do undercut each other sometimes we had this the, we had this thing years ago with sponsorship when, when people talk about when people when people talk about sponsorships years ago what what one guy will take five thousand dollars to wear a t-shirt if there's another guy who will fight on that exact same card yeah. two spots lower he'll do it for two thousand guess what they're not getting five thousand dollars anymore
4: Exactly, and that's where I put my own um, my own uh, experiences is where I can say, "Look, I'm part of that problem. I'm that guy that was willing to do it for less. I'm certainly a part of this problem." So again, you know, if people want to say, "You know, we should negotiate better." I agree. I should negotiate better. You know, uh, I've always been a simple, happy person, and you know, that's not the way that um, that's not the way you make money. You know um i've learned and um with my businesses that I own i do things very different you know what i mean so uh you know it's just a learning process but the vast majority of fighters are young kids that have a dream the ufc has built the the biggest brand in history for combat sports and we have a dream for being in there so we're willing to do it for anything we dedicate our entire life to do it you know i don't know how hard do you think it would be to find these guys that would fight for free for the ufc oh i mean yeah. I, you know what i'm saying like if just to get in the ufc if dana called went around and did a contender series and said and said look you know I'll, I'll let you know we'll do a lottery and one guy gets to fight for free in the ufc did there be a million people sign up you know like and a half of it would be, you know, for, for uh, the potential of monetary gain later, right? So maybe I'll, oh, maybe I'll win and get a big contract, right? It's kind of what the contender series is. These guys aren't making money doing that. And then the other half would be the guys that um, just simply want to be in the UFC. I don't, I don't know how many guys I've trained with throughout my life. They're up-and-comers, you know, kind of asking what their goal is or what their motivations are. They're like, oh, I just want one UFC fight, man. I just want to feel, it. the experience... I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? It's so it's strange to me, you know. But this is a common thing. It's like a status symbol. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's it's that like is- it's like
3: being the it's like being a popular kid in high school, and you went to you were the king of the prom or whatever. Like it's like you got in the UFC. Yeah. It's the wrong, it's the wrong mentality. I I I because I used to say this to guys or girls. When they get in the UFC and I say congratulations on getting in the UFC and I, I've learned to kind of stop myself and say congrats on getting in that's awesome but the goal isn't to get to the UFC it's to win in the UFC and to win a championship Absolutely. or whatever you know what I mean like I had to re—I to retool my brain because for the longest time I was guilty of that I would say to a fight oh congrats on your deal and I do mean that like when you get a contract like congrats but that's not the end goal. Just getting to the UFC should not be your goal. Like that's not a status simply. Exactly. Just, just cause you're wearing a pair of UFC shorts doesn't really mean that much in this day and age.
4: Exactly. And, and it's really, once you get into the UFC, that means your journey has now begun. Now you have the potential to uh, make this your, your whole life, right? Before the UFC, you're probably working a regular job. You're probably um, sleeping on mats or, you know, doing whatever you have to do to get by. You're a starving artist. This is exactly what you are. Once you get to the UFC, now you actually, you know, maybe even Bellator or PFL these days. I don't know. I don't really know how their contracts work. But the UFC certainly, now you have the opportunity to make this your livelihood. You have the opportunity to make this uh, a, hu- a huge thing for you. The sky is the limit. So, um, when, you know, I don't say congratulations on getting to the UFC either anymore. And I would say congratulations on the beginning of your journey. Yeah, now, I- You know what I mean? Like your journey like all that other stuff was walking up to the mountain. Now you're at the base of the mountain.
3: Yeah. I said an interview that that'll come out next week uh, ahead of UFC uh two eighty one, which we're going to preview next week. I know we're both very excited about that card. Had a conversation with Carla barza the UFC strawweight champion. And I said, you know, I think it's 2,612 days between her title reigns. Like she won the first ever strawweight championship and she had to wait that long, that many years, like seven years or whatever it was to get a title again, and I said, like, that's such a remark. Like, If you want to model yourself after somebody, model yourself after somebody like Carlos Barz, who who was a champion, got knocked down, didn't fight for the title again for six, seven years, and then went out and won it again. Like, that's what you yeah. aspire to, not just getting to the UFC. Like, aspire to be a veteran like Matt Brown, who's been in there for years and, and earns bonuses and, and is, a, is a fan favorite fighter. And every time Matt Brown fights, we're all like, oh, my God, it's a Matt Brown fight. Aspire to that. Don't aspire to just get in the UFC because there are guys and girls who just want that logo on their shorts. And dude, guess what? You can go to yeah. the store and buy a pair of Reebok shorts or Venom, whatever <laughs> the hell right they are right now, right. and buy well, a pair of shorts at that UFC.
4: Or, or again, they think that's sort of the top of the mountain. They think they, they that made it. A, they made it. Yeah, they made it, and that, it makes them feel so good, and that's great. You know, you should feel good because uh, that's a big, uh, a huge step up in your journey but it's still just the beginning of your journey, you know, and the, it, we always say there's levels to this. And once you get to the UFC, your level, the levels change. Yeah, you know, the, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the guy that um, I think, you know, one of my fighters was figuring that out AJ, you know, he just had a second UFC fight and lost both of them. And, you know, I think there was something he figured out, right. It's like these, there's levels in here, you know, and you can, um, I tell all my fighters, I said, look, champions train like champions before they're champions not after they're champions you're not going to be a champion unless you're training like a champion beforehand um, so you need to be already in the mindset that you're a UFC champion that you're already there I made this mistake myself that's how I can preach it to others because you know I kind of when I first got in the UFC I kind of had that same mentality of like wow this is amazing I'm here and then over the years it kind of set in and I was like damn I could I'm still here you know <laughs> but uh, a lot of these guys you know they they don't dream big enough i think and and they don't uh you know it's a humbling sport too so there's i think there's a lot of days where you humble i'm not really good enough for the ufc you know what i mean kind of things like this a lot of factors that come into play on all that
3: yeah absolutely i mentioned we can do uh, a whole
4: podcast on that one day maybe
3: absolutely we absolutely should we really should uh we're also here in a minute, just for everyone that's listening. Here in a moment, I am going to play an interview I did with uh, Bilal Muhammad, of course, coming off a big win at UFC 280, a knockout of Sean Brady, shocked a lot of people with that performance. Yeah, uh, an incredible performance from Bilal. So we're going to play that in just a in just a moment. Uh, before I get you out of here, Matt, uh, we talked about next week, UFC 281. Probably is it is it possible that that Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira is maybe your most anticipated UFC fight of the year? Because dude, we've been talking about this one for a while. It's gonna be
4: hard to pass up uh um god uh Chandler and uh um god dang it, it's not it's not crossing my mind now.
3: Oh Gaethje, uh, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well you yeah, got Chandler and about... Chandler and Poirier on this card too.
4: Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I mean uh, Chandler, he's just a wild man. I just love it he's so athletic, man. I just love watching his fights, man. Um but yeah, like him and you. Because the thing with the, for me, yeah, yeah. Izzy and Alex, that, that's the most anticipated fight. But that's because I'm a fight fan. If, this is not going to be an exciting fight. This is not gonna be a knockdown, drag out war. Now, a lot of people are gonna be excited because Alex knocked him out before, so they're hoping for that again, maybe. A lot of people are gonna be excited because um, you know, they're they're both strikers. You know, th- there's gonna be a lot of hype behind this fight but there's no way that this is going to be an exciting fight. Neither one of their kickboxing fights were exciting fights. This is a highly technical kickboxing match between two of the best kickboxers in history and people like me and you that are fans of the sport and love the technical aspects are going to get off on this fight and love it. But Hey, I'm still a, a, a fan myself of the bloody wars. I'm still a just bleed guy in some ways, <laughs> you know, and, like when Chandler fights, that's what I wanna see, man. So like yeah. Chandler Fourier, Chandler Gagey. Uh, that's what well, that's what
3: don't give me don't voters, get, man. Don't give away our whole preview show yet, man. We got that next week. Jeez, don't give yeah, away. Yeah, we're gonna right work
4: now. on that. We're gonna do the whole preview show. Um I'm I'm gonna go back and watch his kickboxing matches again. I watched them before and you know, I don't remember Alex having as much success as people um, you know, think. Because, it was, you know, all well, we see it was the knockout. And he won a decision the first time. But uh, I remember Izzy having – I'm going to watch it again because I don't remember exactly. I watched it a long, long time ago. You know, I've been fans of these guys for a long time. Um, and I remember it being a, a pretty close match with Izzy doing a lot of really good things.
3: Izzy had him hurt pretty bad in the second match. And, and Alex – because Alex was wobbled really badly. And then he survived and came back and got the knockout. But we'll, we'll go through all that – we're going Next, to get all this. Yeah, before we get to Bilal Muhammad, though, I want to mention to you, Matt, did you see the announcement? Because I know you are, we always talk about this, you are the guy who said, you know, if I could have done anything in, in combat sports, if it was popular enough, you would have done Muay Thai, because Muay Thai is like your favorite thing, right? Uh, did oh, you yeah. see the Did you see the announcement that Bukau and Sanshai are going to be fighting in bare knuckle? Did you see this thing? Yeah.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of comical, right?
3: <laughs> dude, they're both like, when I saw, ever when they signed, like when I got the announcement they signed, I was like, dude, like talking about legends, like it's so crazy. When I look up the records, like oh, he has. I I, I wrote the article and I said because Buakaw has like two hundred and seventy wins, and I was like, oh, that's like you know, it's you know, it's typical, you know, crazy Muay Thai record in Thailand. And it, I looked up and yeah, Sanchai has like three hundred and, and yeah, like eighty wins. I was like, Jesus, I was like, that's insane. It,
4: that's a that's a tough one for me to get excited about. I've got to watch it, but it's two guys that are not great boxers. Like, Buakau specifically has never been known for his boxing because it's just bare-knuckle boxing, right? It's not, yeah. not Muay Thai no, no, at all, right? Yeah, not
3: Muay Thai, yeah, not Muay Thai. Yeah, so these two guys that aren't really
4: boxers, boxing, and they're friends. Like, these guys have trained together for a long time. Like, they're good friends. They're, they're, like, actual friends. Like, are they going to try to hurt each other? Or are they just going to play? You know what I mean? I don't know what they're going to do in here. Of course, we got to watch it. I, I'd watch anything those two guys do. But this yeah. is a, this is a very strange thing here.
3: It is. It is. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But right now, I do want to get to the interview with Bilal Muhammad, of course, coming off a big win over Sean Brady. Uh, Incredible performance. And uh, I think he he proved a lot of doubters wrong with that one. So uh, here is my conversation with Bilal Muhammad.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more.
3: Coming off a huge win at UFC 280, and I'm officially adopting a new nickname for him. He has no longer remembered the name. He has now put some damn respect on this man's name. Bilal Muhammad, Bilal, welcome back. How are you?
5: <laughs> What's up, my brother? I like that nickname right there. I can, I can see Bruce Buffer yelling that out. It sounds good.
3: That was my that was my tweet right after the fight. I said, "Put some damn respect on this man's name. Congratulations on an amazing victory!" And uh, man, I tell you what, you put quite an exclamation point on that fight.
5: Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, the whole camp. We were just telling ourselves we have to go out there and, like you said, get some respect, earn some respect. It was one of those fights where I think uh, uh, we we talked before, like. I didn't want this fight. I wanted something bigger. I wanted something, uh, a bigger name, something that was going to get me one step away from a, a title fight. And uh, they ended up getting, giving me this one. So I was like, all right, I have to go out there. I have to show the UFC my worth. And in front of those Abu Dhabi fans, in front of that crowd, that energy, I had to get a finish and it came all, all came true.
3: I don't I don't think the UFC by any stretch of the imagination was trying to set you up for a loss. I don't think that at all, but, but obviously – You know, going from Vicente Luque, a guy who was, you know, ranked, I think, one ahead of you, and then going to a guy who was ranked several spots behind you, undefeated, had a little bit of hype behind him. You know, you were in a tough spot. You were in a low, you were in a a high-risk, low-reward situation. And and you had to go, and you heard all week, people were picking Sean Brady. He became the favorite, betting favorite leading into the fight. A lot of crazy stuff was going on. And then you go out there and knock him out in the second round, and you really took it to him. He couldn't take you down, and then you beat him on the feet, which a lot of people said, can Bilal strike? Can you go out there and strike, you know, and do that kind of thing? Uh, Again, anyone that doubted you, they got silenced on Saturday night. Uh,
5: uh, Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm looking at it like hearing the the people, the criticism and things like that, I'm looking at it like, man, why are these people, had they not watched my old fight, did they not see my – my past work, like I've sat there and struck with Randy Brown. I've sat there and struck with Diego Lima. Like I go into every fight with a game plan, uh, and I go into every fight differently. Like I'm not gonna sit there and strike with Wonder Boy, who's 50 and 0 striker. Uh, I, I went there and I, I outstruck Luque, and I took him down, obviously, but I still outstruck him on the feet. With this fight right here, I knew that I had the clear advantage on the feet, and I knew what I was gonna be able to do to him on the feet. So I said, why would I want to even grapple with him? where he's comfortable and all of his fights he's had it's always been that comfort level when it came to the ground and there's, i've gone with guys like that wrestlers like that where whether you take them down or they take you down they're comfortable on the ground so th- they're okay there but if you put them on their back foot against the fence make them uncomfortable they're gonna break like they had so many uh i think the pi did a test on him or something like that where they they tested his CO2 level or something and they said oh man Sean Brady hit the the record for the best uh, cardio in the UFC or something like that and people were like sending me that I'm like bro that has nothing to do with anything where's your cardio (laughs) when you're getting punched in the face and that's what I showed this weekend.
3: Absolutely. You know it was also what I also loved about the performance was you actually made adjustments on the feet because early on Sean was 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 getting he had a hook he had one hook that was landing you know decently in that first round. You made the adjustment, he started missing that hook, and then you started hitting him when he was throwing the hook. I I saw that adjustment you made mid-fight. That, to me, was one of the most brilliant aspects of this fight, because the one thing he was doing kind of well early, not only did you make an adjustment on but then you made him pay for it with your striking. Can you walk me through that? Like, Was that something you were seeing? Because he he hit you a couple times with the hook— And then you made the adjustment to make him miss the hook and then you were countering and hitting him when he threw the, I just, I loved, I loved the adjustment you made even in that first going into the second round.
5: Yeah. I feel like I'm one of the only fighters that are are very good at making adjustments in the fight mid fight, where I usually see a lot of things that I'm a guy too, where I like to spar with different guys. And if I get hit with something, it it stays in my mind and I try to use it. And uh, it always sticks with me. If I got caught with something like, Oh dang, caught me with this watch this the next time out there, watch the second round, third round, fourth round, things like that. So like I've always trained like that. and always had that mindset of uh, being able to mentally adjust and change things up mid fight. And also have three of the best corners in the world that see a lot of things. So in between rounds, my coach was telling me to, to uh, adjust to throwing more upward in the middle too, because Sean was doing a good job of blocking the outside. And when I was throwing those wide punches, he was catching me with that hook. So we switched to the uppercut a little bit and like I said, for for him, I don't think that he's comfortable adjusting or being in the fire. So that second round, when that hook wasn't landing, that's when he couldn't make an adjustment. He couldn't figure out what to do next. His coaches, his corners or something was just yelling stupid stuff from their corner. Like, oh, he got nothing for you. He got this. Dude. Like, they were yelling trash talk instead of giving him real tips. And I was just, like, laughing in my head.
3: It was also funny because you mentioned the cardio thing. Um, you know, your one of your biggest weapons is your conditioning, is your cardio. You push a pace that really and no one has been able to keep up with you. You saw in the, the Luque fight. You pushed him, in by the late parts of the fight, I mean, that was a huge weapon for you in that fight. I thought there was also that you pushed him to the point, even in the second round where like, you could see he was labored in his movement. He was labored when you were going around, like he stopped moving forward. It was crazy. Even in the second round, like it felt like your conditioning became a weapon in that fight.
5: Yeah. A lot of the, uh, the game planning for this fight, uh, this camp was, you know, we were mad that we couldn't get it a five rounder. Like even like Habib was like, yo, I think this would have been a perfect five round fight because like we saw in the Chiesa fight that he did, gas out a little bit in the third round so then we were like we have to step on the gas right away early he's a guy that he'll take you down in the first round and once he wins that first round that's when he's in his comfort zone his comfort level a lot of wrestlers like that too where they win the first round and then the second and third round they'll use that time to waste the time push you on the fence and that's what Sean is comfortable doing so the first round was all striking and I know that he may have won the first round, but he's not comfortable striking there. So he's not going to have the cardio to keep that pace up there. And I was like, I made him push the gas. And we were we like in, this, in between rounds, like perfect round, beautiful round. Now's our time to turn it up. Now's where we go. Now's where he's going to start breaking
3: what I loved about the finishing sequence is, again, because, you know, at that point, he's starting to look a little tired. He's starting to look a little labored. You probably could have taken him down and, and, and beaten him on the ground in that way. But the fact that you saw an opening and you hit him and you saw him hurt and then you went for it. But it was also controlled. You didn't go wild. Uh, there was a moment there where like he was hurt. And I noticed you took a second to measure your shot. You weren't just throwing wild bombs just trying to get him out of there. But I thought that was a brilliant finishing sequence because you saw the opening, you heard him, you had him trapped against the cage, but you were still measured. You weren't going crazy. You weren't just throwing wild haymakers, just trying to get him out of there. You were just pummeling him with, with measured shots. And I thought that was a a great finishing sequence. Can you kind of walk me through that? What you saw and also how you don't like in that moment, you don't just go crazy because you know, he's hurt. You know, you're going to get him out of there, but you were still, you were very measured with your, your, your shots and your combinations.
5: Yeah, it was uh, it was funny because the the ref that came in the back before the fight and he gave us you know our pre-fight rules. He, we like we never saw him before. I'm like, oh crap, we got a new ref. <laughs> so like it already stuck in my head that this guy's a you know a, a different ref. And you know I'm in the middle of the fight. And I see him rock. Like I'm looking at his eyes. His eyes are going back. And I felt like I hit him with so many unanswered shots. And I was like, oh, this ref's not gonna stop it. So I'm like, I cannot blow my load here. I have to be smart with it and pick him right at the right moments. Because you see it all the time where guys would just throw a bunch of punches, then they'll look at the ref and hope that he stops it. I was like, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make him pay for the words he was saying, the, the, Oh, at the press conference said, Oh yeah, you never stopped anybody. You're not going to stop me. LOL. And little things like that. I'm like, all right, well, if I get these free shots, he's not doing anything. I want to keep giving it to him.
3: It was uh, it was great. It was a good stoppage too, because I think at that point, like he was still technically on his feet, but he was done. He was out. You knocked him out on the feet. Sometimes a knockout on the feet is even more impressive when you hit a guy to the point where he's just he's just done. And it was a good stoppage. Again, I actually thought a couple shots earlier could have stopped him, but again, good stoppage. That's what I thought too. <laughs> I was like,
5: I, I I was like man. I was like man. I feel like this ref is stopping the fight late. And then when I heard people say it was early, I was like bro. I thought it was late. Like I'm looking at Sean's eyes, and he did not want to be there. He he was he was looking for the ref to step in earlier, but I was like, all right, I just got to keep hitting you to This ref steps in
3: yeah you know there's some there's some guys it's like it, it, it almost like it breaks them in the, in the in the head like you you hurt them and they just don't go down but they're done like they're knocked out they're not going anywhere but they're just not physically falling over and sometimes that's more dangerous because you're just getting additional brain damage by just blasting the guy and like he he was standing there and you were just hitting him and he was turned to the side which was most concerning to me because you're just hitting him in the head and his head's turned to the side And I'm like he's clearly not defending himself at this point like he's just turning away and getting punched.
5: Yeah, exactly. I was looking at it. I was like, in my head, I'm like, bro, what is this ref thinking? Uh, but, you know, luckily he finally stepped in before the cl- uh, the clock uh, rang.
3: Yeah. At the end of the day, Bilal, and I, and I say this as a compliment, like, you know, you go out there and, and you have no problem trash talking with an opponent. You have no problem going back at someone coming at you. But ultimately, you're a, you're an athlete. You're a fighter. You're, you're a mixed martial artist. You're not out there to hurt anybody. Um. But did it feel good? you know, to get that kind of a win because Sean had been talking. He had, he, he talked trash before the fight. He was saying you're running from him. You were ducking him. You didn't want this fight. All these kind of crazy things, trying to get you to take the fight, all those kind of things he was saying. You mentioned the pressers kind of saying things about you. Like, I know you don't go out there trying to hurt your opponent. You're not going out there to like, you know, maim anybody anything crazy like that. But did it feel satisfying to get a win like that over that guy, considering what he had said kind of leading into it?
5: yeah it was it was very satisfying especially because you know we have like mutual friends me and paul felder him and paul felder and i got met him a couple of times beforehand uh when i first met him it was like his second fight in the ufc or something and uh he was very nice oh hey I know, i'm i, I trained with paul uh what's up bro nice to meet you like all this cool stuff and then he ended up winning that fight and then he called me out on the mic after and i was looking at it like bro, this guy was just nice to me when I met him in person, but he called me out, but I'm like, all right, whatever. And then we did have that fight scheduled and he pulled out and I didn't even know why he pulled out of that fight uh, for whatever injury. And then that's why when he started saying this one, like, you're running, you're doing this. And I'm like, bro, you pulled out of the first fight. And I had so many of his people in my DMs from like Philly and all with the last name Brady saying, take the fight, you're scared, you're a coward and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, I just fought a guy that, knocked me out before in luke and but i'm afraid of fighting you why <laughs> uh but yeah like it, it was definitely satisfying just the way i won that fight and approved proved a lot of doubters wrong haters wrong you know the troll world is i think turning over to become fans now so that's always fun uh when you switch uh, your haters to fans uh but yeah i think that the biggest thing for me is just like showing the world what I know I, I could do anyway. Like I knew what, what I was capable of. And I always just listened to these people telling me like, Oh, he's not good enough. He doesn't have this. He's, he doesn't have any striking at all. And I was just sitting there listening to it with a dumb look on my face. But now I feel like I woke up a lot of people and a lot of people are going to start respecting me now.
3: Yeah. I think that was the biggest takeaway, right? Because there was some talk about Sean Brady. Maybe he was going to be the next thing, the next big thing, the next guy, uh, and I said before the fight, I said, you know, I don't think people. I said this to you. I said I don't think people give him enough respect because he came in and and looked really good. And I said, you know, he actually had better wins than Hamza did before Hamza fought Gilbert Burns. You know, he he had better wins on his record. And I said it's kind of crazy people don't you know want to give Sean the the credit he deserves. But you go out there and knock the guy out. I think you did turn a lot of people around because again you had your doubters. You have your haters, blow and you're always gonna have them. I mean, okay. You could go out there and knock out Leon Edwards in eight seconds. People are still gonna find some reason to hate on you. But I think you did turn a lot of people around in that fight. Maybe you felt it afterwards. And again, you you get your victory lap right now, right? Like this is the time to kind of prove the doubters wrong. The people who didn't pick you, the people who said you were gonna lose, the people who said you weren't the real deal. You're you're kinda you get to, you know, kind of shake your you know, brush off your shoulder a little bit, and as I said, put some damn respect on your name. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had
5: a 14 hour flight home. Uh so I was like just going back. I like to go back and like listen to uh old podcasts and like just look at listen to guys' picks and who they thought was gonna win and why they were gonna win and just looking at old comments under your weigh in pictures because you're gonna have those people under there, oh you're gonna get knocked out tomorrow. There's no way. And this is like I was just like why uh read those with my brother we were on the plane, we we're just like laughing at all of them. And I was like, I'm gonna respond to this person, but like, you know what? I'm not even gonna give it attention, I'm not even going no energy. Um, you know, I like This whole five weeks was uh, like a blessing. And, like, I just wanted to enjoy that journey and just be appreciative of it and not give the energy to these people that, like you said, they're going to hate on you no matter what. Like, Al Sterling beat Dillashaw, but he's still getting hated on for some reason. Like, it's his fault that Dillashaw went in there injured. And, like I said, no matter what you do, people are going to just look for a way to tear you down. And I'm done giving energy to it. (laughs)
3: Absolutely. Well, just I listen, I'm just going to say I pat myself on the back. You can go back and listen to my previous show with Anthony Smith. We both picked you to win. Just I'm just saying, like, just, you know, just put it out there. Me and Anthony both picked you to win. Um, Let me ask you this camp. You mentioned after the fight and it was in your corner, of course, Habib Nurmagomedov was in your corner. Um, and you and I know you praised him a lot afterwards. Now, to be clear, you do have a great other team around you, of course, working in Chicago. The guys you work around, so I don't want to take the credit away from them. But you did mention working with Habib. Can you tell me, like, what ultimately was the biggest addition having him there and working with him? And will you work with him again going forward? Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, uh, sorry. Uh,
5: bro. It was it was another level working with uh, those guys over there. Uh, being able to, to train with the team, learn from who I consider the goat, uh, of all fighting and to be training side by side with who I think is the, the best fighter in the UFC right now in Islam. And, you know, we're sparring, we're training, we're, we're eating together. We're praying next to each other. We're driving in the same car together. So you get a more of a personal side from all these guys and their, their whole team, is just a different level. Like, when I first got there, it was just going with guys that, you know, a lot of people don't even know their names, not in the UFC, and I'm getting taken down. Uh, Islam is tapping me out, and I'm telling myself, like, bro, is just going to hurt me, hurt my confidence mentally to the point where it's like, dang, if these guys are killing me like this, like, what kind of confidence am I going to go to in the fight? Uh, but it just leveled me up to a whole different level because I was like... The way they train so hard. There's nothing special about it. Like everybody's like, "Oh man, is there, is there something different these guys are doing?" It's just hard work. Like Habib, as a coach, pushes you to different levels. We're like, our favorite day was when he'll be like, "Okay, rest." Like me and Islam would we'll look at each other. We'll give each other a fist pound. Like we'll just smile and <laughs> yeah, because it was like we're just so happy that he would say that because we'll sit, we'll spar, and then we'll go straight into grappling, and then he'll put me in a bad position in the cage. And then you still have to burn out with either jumping squats, push ups. It was just nuts. And I never worked as hard, but it just changed me mentally to a point of, I know there's nothing that Sean could do to me that these guys already didn't do to me. And like I said, Islam, a lot of people don't know how good he really is. Like You hear it all the time that, oh, he's going to be the, the greatest ever. Habib says that he's better than him. And, you know, people are just saying, oh, they're just blowing hot smoke. But no, dude is really good. He is – he's literally the best guy i've ever trained with his striking is another level his ground game is another level and his humbleness is a different level too because it's he's sitting here teaching me and his fights is still the biggest fight of his career next week and he's like hey do this like this and show me how he got me down it's like bro, like why are you getting you don't have to do that right now You, you you know go rest because you you had the biggest fight of your career coming up but he showed me a whole bunch of different things I learned so much from all of them, and uh, I'm just blessed to be able to do that. And you, like I said, growing—not really growing up because we we're the same age—but like coming up in this fight game, he was a guy that I've looked up to. So now it's like gone around full circle that we're training next to him, and he's in my corner, and being in the locker room with him, just seeing their calmness in the locker room because like you, there's always that stress of what's going to happen, or uh, like I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose. But religiously and with them, like you see, it's God's plan. No matter what, like win or lose, it was for God had a reason for it. So they just like cemented it in your brain. So like we put the work in, all the work is already put in. Like we didn't cut any corners with anything. So now it's like, whatever God has in store for God has in store for us, and that's the sense of confidence that they all brought to that locker room. And there was no anxiety or anything back there it was just cool like we were back there laughing smiling even when i'm walking out he's telling me like these people are all here for you go out there and put on a show for your people that's what this crowd is here for you no one else and it was just it was surreal
3: so will you will you work with them again going forward
5: yeah definitely I'm a, uh we're we're actually planning on going uh taking a trip to dagestan in march uh with the whole squad like he welcomed the uh, Get my boy jared gordon down uh with open arms he, like they let him trade with the team mike valley was down there for two weeks and you know lewis taylor was down there five weeks for me but yeah they were like yeah anytime you want to come down we got you we'll take care of everything so yeah we're going to try to get a whole team uh down there in dagestan in march
3: and i know you have as i mentioned a great team around you lewis taylor mike valley i saw them in your corner as well uh you got the good luck charm now though you know you got to have khabib in the corner Correct. going into the title fight and everything right like you got to have him there
5: uh, I yeah i have to man it, like People would always, oh even Sean, oh, what is Khabib gonna do with the corner? Blah, blah, blah. Like his vision, the stuff that he sees, he's he's the the goat for a reason. Like like I tell people like there's people that can that can coach and not fight, and can fight and not coach, but he could do it all. And I think that he's eventually gonna be one of the best coaches to ever do it because he sees everything and like his game planning, like he'll watch tape on Sean Brady. It wasn't like he would just win it or I'll be there fight night. Like he was sending me messages of, Hey, I saw Sean. He does this. He likes to do this with this. And like, he actually looked out, looked for things that we could use in the fight. It wasn't just, Oh yeah, I'll corner you brother, whatever. And I'll just show fight night and you know, make an appearance. Like he really cared about it. And uh, it was an honor that, and it was a blessing that he actually took it serious.
3: Yeah. He's a brilliant guy. I don't think people give him enough credit. Like he's a brilliant guy. Like I've heard stories about this for a long time. Like even when he was fighting, I heard stories coming out of AKA of like how he would like teach guys and train guys. And uh, it's like, it's hard to say this, but maybe it's true that maybe he'll even be a better coach. And he was a fighter.
5: Yeah, I think so, man. And he, he wants greatness out of all of his guys. Like he, people would look at him and be like, Oh man, he looks mad or mean or anything like that. But it's not that it's, he wants greatness out of you. Like he's, he's already achieved greatness. He's already achieved everything. And he doesn't need to be in that room with us and giving us his knowledge and his time, but he is. Because you know all of his team, all of his guys teammates Islam they all helped him reach his goals and he wants to pay it forward and helping all of us reach our goals and that's what I love about him most is that his humbleness and you know just his sense of gratitude that he has for everybody like there's no oh I got no time today like the, when he goes to a meet and greet or something like that he takes us all yeah he, like he got invited to a whole bunch of dinners out there he'll take his whole team yeah you have to serve my whole team. Like, he wanted all of us around there, and that was, like, the, the cool part about it. And it's not like it changed him at all. Like, he had to do this, this, and this, but he will still be at practice the next day, rolling with us, teaching us, showing us. And, like, at the end of every practice, he's like, you look bad. You need to do this, this, and this. Like, he's calling you out in front of everybody. And that, like, leveled us all up because I'm, he's telling him, yo, yo, you did this in sparring. Why did you do this in sparring? You should have did it this way, this way. It's telling me that, all right, well, I got to do that, too. And you take what's useful, you throw away what's not. So it's like, if he's telling this guy, this, that means he probably saw that in other guys too. So it was cool that he would call people out like that because if you hear him call somebody out, it's not because he wants to embarrass them or anything like that. He wants it to get better. Like I'd rather get tapped out at practice so I don't get tapped out in a fight. And that's what I tell people all the time is like, if you're in a room where you're the best guy in the room, you're in the wrong room.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. To that point, Bilal, you know, whenever you get a big win, we always got to talk about what's next. And and where you're at right now, I saw the new UFC rankings come out, you're number four, Um, you know, at this point. Now, let me be clear about this, because, again, you you took a risk fighting Sean Brady. Now, in your head, you may say, like, it's not a risk because you were confident you are going to win, but it's still a risk because he's behind you in the rankings. You don't get as much from a win, you know, over a guy like that as you would have maybe fighting a Hamzat or a Colby. So now you're in a position where, where you only have a couple of guys in front of you. Now it looks like all signs are pointing towards Leon and Usman doing it again in March, which by the way, I want to say, last time we spoke, I know you remembered this, you called it. You said, I bet you they're going to push for uh, Leon and, uh, and, and Masvidal. And they were going back and forth on Twitter. It's like, Oh my God, it's happening. Bilal called it, but <laughs> it looks like it's going to be Usman and Edwards, you know, three, it looks like it's going to happen. Hopefully in March, maybe in the UK. I know Ali has said, that's what they want. I know Leon is, you know, continued to say, I think that's what's going to happen. So that leaves Hamzat and Colby. Now, I know they've talked about Hamzat and Colby in March, but you and I both know we haven't heard from Colby. Colby's been dead silent since the whole Masvidal thing. He has brain damage, apparently, so maybe there's some going on there. I don't know. Um, listen, I, I get it. The, the, the Colby fight and, and Hamzat, I know that's what Dana said. But let's be honest. We don't know where Colby's at. Colby hasn't said a word. He's got this legal thing going on. I don't know if we could depend on Colby doing that you and Hamzat's the fight you've been the I I did the article before the fight you called out Hamzat multiple times they gave you Sean Brady you called out Hamzat before they gave you Vicente Luque uh you and Hamzat seems like the fight to make it seems like the only fight to make and and that's just because of where we're at but but you tell me am I wrong is that the fight like is March it's got to be you and Hamzat but is there anything else what's going on
5: yeah I think that's literally the only fight to make for me it's either Leon or Hamza and uh I think that us two make the most sense. I know they're talking about Kobe, but I don't think Kobe's going to take that fight. Kobe hasn't taken a, a a hard fight or a guy a fight that a guy's coming off a win since Kamaru. Kamaru's the only guy that he's fought in his last eight fights that wasn't on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, Kobe, he gets the credit for being the the guy that would be the champion if it, Kamaru wasn't there, yada, yada, yada. But who's he beat? He's be in Mazda on a three-fight losing streak, Woodley on a five-fight losing streak uh other than that it's been nothing but lightweights uh so why is this guy getting all this credit in the world when i'm the guy that's beating ranked guys i beat uh luke A on the seven fight winning streak i was just beat wonder boy who was three and one out of his last four i just beat this kid who was 15 and 0 and i've just fought i beat four top 10 guys in the last year the only other guy that's beating top 10 guys in the last year is Kamaru Usman. Nobody else is beating multiple top 10 guys. Even Hamzat's only win against a ranked guy is Gilbert Burns. And that was a close split decision. And he came in nine pounds over his last one. So for me, I think I'm right underneath Kamaru and should be number two in the division and rankings wise. So the fact that they still have Kobe up there doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I think if they're having that fight in London with uh, Leon and Kamaru, I want to be on that card. I think me and Hamzat make the most sense and there's nobody else for me. Like I, 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 said it before this with this fight. I was like, I know if I beat Brady, I'm still gonna have to fight one more. If I fight somebody else, I'm still that still gonna be in front of me. They're still gonna give him that just because his following and his uh, uh, his aura about him. So just let me skip all that. Let me go straight to him. Let it. What else do I have to do to to earn this big fight? What else do I have to do to earn this number one contender fight? I have fought everybody that they put in front of me. I beat everybody put in front of me. I went backwards fighting him. I finished him on the biggest card of the year. There's nothing else.
3: Is there an argument, and I know the answer, but I'm saying like, is there an argument to be made that ultimately you are a harder fight for Hamzat than Colby? You know, because you're (laughs) not, because Colby, Colby, no, listen, Colby can, you know, Colby is, you know, says all the crazy stuff and does all the stupid things, but he's not, you know, he's not a terrible fighter. He's got good wrestling. He's got good conditioning. He's shown that. Um, you know, but you're right, you know, you're absolutely right. He hasn't fought the, the, the upper echelon of this division and, and his biggest claim to fame is he, you know, he took Camaro into deeper waters before he got knocked out the first time and then got beat the second time. But you're right. I mean, outside of that, he doesn't have those kind of fights, but now he does have legit wrestling. He was a division one, you know, all American, you know, at, at Oregon state and, you know, he does have good cardio. He has used that as a weapon in the past, but do you feel like ultimately you are the harder matchup for Hamzat as well?
5: Yeah, I definitely do think I'm the hardest matchup for him. I think that my striking is way better than Kobe's, and I'm comfortable being in that fire. Where, you know, we saw in the last fight with Hamza when he fought Gilbert Burns, when he was in that fire, he got emotional and he started going against the game plan. He got tired. Uh, Kobe's not comfortable being in that fire. Kobe's not comfortable. All right, if I can't take you down and I have to strike with you, he's not comfortable there. Yeah, he had those wars with Kamaro, but. That was before Kamara really started being comfortable striking and standing up. And uh, I think that I just bring a different level of striking, a different level of IQ to the game than all these guys. And for me to fight a guy like Hamza, I, I study tape more than anybody in the game. I already know what I would do for uh, a fight like that and what I would bring to the table for a fight like that. So I already, know, I already know what I need to do. So if I do get that fight, I've already been ready for that fight. I already wanted that fight so much. And I do think I'm the hardest matchup in the division
3: for anybody. Yeah. And and listen, you know, at some point, like I said, I get the Colby, you know, I get the Colby, you know, who he is and everything, but at some point we have to move on, right? Like he didn't, he didn't seem interested in fighting out when they were going to book it before. We haven't heard from him. He said nothing. I mean, he said, no, he's made no public statements. He's made no, you know, he's not discounted. He's not say, yeah, give it to me. I want that guy. He hasn't said anything. He's been silent since the whole Masvidal thing in, in, in March. Um, we got to move on at some point, right? Like we got to move on from the guy.
5: Yeah, exactly. He hasn't. He hasn't fought how long? I mean, why are you guys trying to push that one so hard? Because Kobe's going to say stupid things at a press conference because he's going to dress dumb. Uh, I think that people would definitely want to see me and Hamza. I think that's still going to get the same amount of eyes, same amount of views, and it's a more meaningful fight for the division. I feel like than the Kobe fight. Yeah, Kobe's going to say some outlandish stuff. He's going to get some clickbait out of it, but I don't think he's just pay per view draw that. Conor McGregor is or Masvidal is he's not that guy so there's nothing to gain from really pushing that Kobe fight Me and Homs that are on the, the only ones in the division winning right now we're the only ones active right now and I think we should be the ones that should be in a cage
3: is there any worry about a Hamza fight though because of the weight thing because of what happened with this last one I know you said after the fight I'll fight him at 179 but ultimately you're a welterweight you want the welterweight title um is there any concern with that because again when when Dana said afterwards like maybe you should go to middleweight I kind of agreed with him because I'm like, dude, the guy, and I think even in the Gilbert Burns fight, now he went out there and had a great fight, but the Gilbert Burns fight, like there's a little controversy with his weigh-in, you know what I mean? Like a little bit of that. So, like, is there any concern fighting this guy that he might come in at 175 or even 172? Every little bit of weight you have over is an advantage. It's a it's a it's a grueling part of the weight cut you didn't go through that you that he gives that he didn't go through that you do. So is there any concern about fighting a Hamzad and, and dealing with that? Uh, I think
5: it more so, I think that his big weight problem, with the last one was more, he just didn't respect Nate Diaz enough. I don't think that he went in there with the mindset that I'm gonna walk through Nate Diaz and you know, once you get to that point of superstardom and you know, cockiness to the, uh, or like, I don't have to run that extra mile today for an idea. So I don't have to do that extra cardio, ride that bike, diet as much, take it as serious because well, I mean, we don't have, that was a terrible matchup for Nate Diaz. Like we don't have to lie about it uh and it was a great matchup for Hamza so it was more so if I'm Hamza let me make it to fight night healthy and so I think that he wouldn't come in there with that mindset when he's fighting a guy like me because the next one would be for the title so you'd have to take it more serious and I think that he would probably make weight especially embarrassing uh, yourself that much the last fight that if you come again missing weight that by that much then like you look terrible as a as a fighter and as a professional.
3: Yeah. And also, you know, you talk about the Colby thing, you know, him talking trash and him saying crazy things. Uh Bilal, low key, you're becoming one of the best trash talkers on the roster. I said this before, your Twitter game is real strong you cracked me up today with your tweet about the Sean O'Malley, the Connor thing. I was crazy Even Connor. Connor retweeted with a laugh. I don't know if you saw that. He responded with a laugh. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Like you are kind of low key becoming one of the better trash talkers. You threw Philly under the bus uh, during the press (laughs) conference the other day, which I found really funny. And, uh, and then you go out there and then you have some, so like I said, you may not, you're not going to go out there and say outlandish things just to get a headline and saying stupid stuff like Colby, but you are kind of low key becoming one of the best trash talkers in this division. (laughs)
5: <laughs> yeah you know like i like locker room trash talk like like that where it's funnier that where i don't have to talk about your ma- mom or your family or it's like that like i feel like i'm the most witty guy in a division so like if i do get a fight like a kind of mcgregor where we are going back and forth it would be fun i want to have that type of fight or opponent where i can go back and forth with them and it's not like forced like none of my stuff is ever forced and i never want to be that guy where i'm selling myself just for a buck where you know i get out of character i get out of uh, you know, losing my self-respect. So a lot of my stuff is just fun. And I do think, like you said, I think I'm one of the best guys at it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real quick before I get you out of here. I know that again, nothing is settled. Nothing is done. Uh, but again, where you're at right now, you have to be one fight away from a title fight. Can I imagine at this point, there's no more fighting down. It has to be fighting up. And when I say that, I mean, like if you look at the rankings, the only guys you could fight right now are Homs that are Colby. Now Colby's a fight you've wanted forever. And again, I'm kind of pulling him out of the equation because we just don't know what's going on with him. But Hamzat is the fight. But like, no, and I, and I mean this, I have the utmost respect for Gilbert Burns. I love Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is a monster. Uh, and there's other guys who are a monster. But at this point, is it about fighting up? Like it has to be like a number one contenders fight.
5: Yeah, for sure. I, I do think that I earned it. Like you said, I, I took this fight and uh, I didn't have to. So I feel like the hope the UFC rewards me for it. And like, I'm only looking upward now. Like I'm blind to anything underneath me
3: yeah and can I ask your opinion because again you could be getting the winner Leon Usman 2 or Usman 3 I guess it would technically be uh we don't know for sure it's gonna happen but it seems like it's gonna happen can I ask your opinion on that one who you see coming out on top
5: uh yeah I mean I do think the way the first fight or the second fight was going I thought that Usman had a clear path to victory and 30 seconds he would have (laughs) won I do think that obviously Leon's going to come out here with probably a better game plan, uh, better cardio maybe, but I just think that Usman's a bad matchup for him. I think that anybody with that type of wrestling and pressure is a terrible matchup for Leon, so I'm going to give it definitely to Usman.
3: But either way, like I said, it's a win-win, because I know Usman's a guy you wanted to fight for the magnitude of it because Usman was a great champion, and listen, you still have a little unfinished business with Leon, so again, it's a win-win for you.
5: Yeah, exactly. Either one of those guys, I'll take it. I wanted to be the first guy to beat Usman, uh, but I'll definitely be able to be happy with beating him for the title uh, if he gets it.
3: Yeah, well, like I said, I'm pushing for it. You and Hamzat in March—that's what it needs to be. I don't know what your timeline is for fighting again, but if they want to do March, I assume that would be okay with you. Uh, maybe get on the same card as Usman and, and Edwards three. I think that would be the make make the most sense. Put you in, and also can I say whether it's main event, co main event, five rounds? It's got to be five rounds, right? You and Hamzat's got to be five rounds. Like they've done it for other fights that are non-title fights. You got to do it now. You got to do a, a, a five-round fight with Hamzat.
5: Yeah, it has to be, I feel like. Uh, with the magnitude of it, the, the number one contendership on the line, five rounds makes the most sense.
3: Absolutely. Well, Bilal, I appreciate the time as always. Congratulations on another amazing win. As I said, remember the name is a great nickname, but put some damn respect on your name is as, <laughs> as a, as a, as a secondary nickname I'll give you. Uh, Congratulations again on the win, and thank you as always for the time. I appreciate it.
5: Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man.
3: Talk to you soon.